This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Jerry, this is uh, among probably one of the most exciting Wheelhouse episodes we've had so far. We will officially call this the Ichiro edition of the Wheelhouse podcast. Moments ago, really, you just got done introducing Ichiro Suzuki as once again a Seattle Mariner. What are your emotions right now? This is a a big day for the franchise. Really, a a big day for the franchise. Such a cool thing to be a part of. I I said it to Ichiro when he first walked in the door, and and I reminded our people, you know, our, our Mariners baseball front office, our staff downstairs, that, that these are moments where don't take yourself too seriously, don't think too much, just enjoy the moment. It's a, you know, you're, you're welcoming back an organizational icon, one of the great players in the history of baseball, no matter where baseball is played. And, and you, can, you can forget the moment if you don't just enjoy it. And I'll, I'll say this, you, you were there for the press conference, uh, the introductory press conference just moments ago. And uh, I didn't understand too much of what Ichiro is saying, but I do understand that he could command a room with very few words and somehow, somehow bring them to laughter without even cracking a smile himself. It was, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. Did you get any insights afterwards as to how exactly he did this or what he said or what it was? Because it was a little unique. It, it was unique. And, you know, I did ask afterward. I said, teach me a wise one, your ways, because I, I need to know how I can make people laugh without, <laughs> without even smiling. But uh, no, he, he, he actually was terrific from the start to the finish. And when asked going into the, the presser, how long we were we were going to take with the with the question and answer session? He said, "As long as it takes." There's, and I think he really viewed this as one of those moments in life that you just don't want to let pass by without really absorbing it. Well, there's a lot to talk about on this front. Obviously, first of all, I think something that a lot of fans will find very interesting in your comments at the podium today at the table, you made it very clear that you had been in talks with Ichiro and his people, not just now but going back to the earliest days of the offseason can you tell us kind of the beginning seeds of this relationship with Ichiro yeah we've gone through so many different iterations of Ichiro conversation with John Boggs and you know John reached out almost immediately after the 2017 season concluded to check on the potential for a fit with Ichiro you know, at that time, we had an outfield, an expected returning outfield of Mitch Hanniger, Guillermo Heredia, and Ben Gamble. And we knew we had that. We knew we had an opening that needed to be filled. We weren't entirely sure at the time how we were going to fill it. So this is post Gerard Dyson, pre D Gordon, and not knowing how we were going to mix and match in our outfield. And we also knew we had holes at first base, at utility infield. We wanted to, to add to the pitching staff in a meaningful way. And, you know, we were trying to figure out where we were going to allocate our dollars. So we did keep in touch with John. We talked about the potential of Ichiro. How does he fit in a rotation with our three existing outfielders? If we went out and got more of a, a, kinda, a bigger free agent hit, 
would that be, you know, whether it be at first base at, on the pitching staff, would Ichiro be a, a cost-effective solution and an outfield rotation? And and ultimately, we had that conversation over and over until we acquired D. Gordon via trade, and then there was seemingly no fit, and and the the discussions calmed. And obviously, with uh, with some of the nicks and bruises we experienced here in spring, we had a couple more conversations with John, and then ultimately over this past weekend when Ben Gamble went down. And we realized that this could be a four to six week, maybe two month stretch where we're without Ben. You know, obviously March being the, a bulk of that time, we did re-engage and, and it didn't take too long to come to a conclusion. Now, there's a, a, a conversation that you had with the Mariners fan, Jerry, that I was not there for. I got secondhand. I think I was trying to remember who my, who my source is. I think it's Ben Van Houten, Mariners team photographer, who oversaw this, overheard it. And then in casual conversation, mentioned it to me at some point over the winter, Jerry, correct me if this is wrong. There was a Mariners fan who essentially undressed you, berated you, just chastised you for having not signed Ichiro to that point. And then when your response was along the lines of, I just I don't know if there's a great fit for Ichiro right now, the Mariners. I mean, just form tackled you even further. First of all, do you remember this conversation? Vividly. Do you have something you'd like to say to this Mariners fan right now? How do you like us now? (laughs) (laughs) I I, I do remember the conversation. It was was during our our pseudo-fan fest. Okay. uh, and uh, we had a, a group of, of VIPs, we had a group of season ticket holders, and we had a group of fans that all came through at various intervals at Safeco Field for, for cocktail affairs, for question and answer sessions, etc. And uh, yeah, roasting we, the GM. We did. We, we, had, we had one. It was, it was slightly something north of roasting. I felt like I was tarred <laughs> and feathered. But, uh, you know, and there was. I mean, legitimately, when we were in that, in that zone in January, there was no logical way that Ichiro fit because you know one of the things that we were committed to was was the idea that if Ichiro if Ichiro were to return we don't envision an organizational icon sitting on the bench regularly and there had to be a way that we were going to get him regular at bats and, and and allow him to do the things that he's capable of doing because and you can see in the second half of last season with the Miami Marlins whether it's what he's doing in high leverage situa- situations what he's doing when given the chance to play a little more regularly. Uh, he's still quite a good player and can do a lot of really strong things. And, and give him the opportunity now with Guillermo in left field to spell Mitch in right field when that's required or to move over for D in center. We have three outfielders who can play all the spots. And that's what we lost with Ben Gamble, and that's what we were focused on when we were going out to, to fill that position now with Ichiro. And we feel like this puts us in a very good position when Ben comes back because now we have that versatility and increased flexibility that maybe we didn't have before. So in other words, when, when you're looking at how Ichiro fits on the Mariners in the right now, present time for Seattle, I mean, do you get the sense that his body can carry the load that he was not carrying in recent years? Like Miami last year were roughly, let's call it half of his at-bats were as a pinch hitter. There's, I will say that the, the going through the physical, the process of the, the physical with Ichiro, from the orthopedic exam to the physical exam, there's the, some of the most, uh, I guess, 
shocking, shockingly positive reviews in a medical that you can achieve. We're used to looking at guys in their young mid twenties and, and, and who are very athletic people and Ichiro makes them all look like they're not taking care of themselves. <laughs> it's a, he's an incredibly well conditioned athlete. He's, he's going to play this year at 44 years old and you'd never know it when you look at him. Uh, the, the waist size, the, the, the Jersey size, it's, it's phenomenal. I, you know, I, Although he's something of my junior, I would like to age like he's aging <laughs> in some way. But uh, Ichiro, is a, he's, he's an iconic player. I think whether he plays seven days a week or five days a week, he's going to play for us regularly. I don't think we're going to burden him with the expectation of 600 plate appearances or, or the 700 plate appearances he may have really achieved in the, in the salad days back in the early 2000s. But what we're, our expectations are that he's going to play four to five times a week, maybe six times a week, depending on the matchups and depending on where the need is in that moment, uh, you know, particularly during this time when Ben's down. Because we do have Guillermo coming back from an off-season surgery. We're going to be without Gamel for a period of time. Minimally, we're anticipating the month of April. And Mitch Haniger still hasn't taken an at-bat in the spring. So we do have some, some concerns in regard to playing time. And we don't want to overburden any of those players with too much too soon. And, and Ichiro really allows us to do that. He spoke today about the transition in his career from when he would drive to Safeco Field and he knew every day he would be in the lineup to the point where he'd drive to the ballpark when he left Seattle, and now he wasn't sure if he'd be in the lineup, to then even being on deck, a left-hander comes out of the bullpen, and now he has to go back to the dugout. And this this involvement of a major league career that we see happen to everyone, even the greats, do you get a sense what it means to him to now be able to not only come back to where it all began in the States for each role, but now, as it looks right now, and as you just said, basically a projection of playing time like he has not had for years. There's, I think that was the primary appeal. And, and while he hasn't had that, he didn't have it last year with just north of 200 plate appearances in, in Miami. But the year prior, he was north of 400. Uh, twice in the, in the three years before that, he was north of 400. So he, he has played fairly regularly, only very recently with, I, I guess, when you're playing with Giancarlo Stanton and Kristen Yelich and Marcelo Suna. There's not a lot of room at the end. Uh, we, we provided him with opportunity. And frankly, it fits our roster quite well. Because what we didn't want to do was we didn't want to go find, we didn't want to go find a long-term solution to a short-term problem. We wanted to go find a mid-term solution to a short-term problem that had a chance to be a positive addition for us. And, and we feel like Ichiro can step in and play regularly in left field. He's, he's, he's almost platoon immune. It doesn't matter if it's a lefty or a righty that's pitching. As a matter of fact, he's got reverse splits, and he handles left-hand pitchers better. So our thought was the worst-case scenario for us is that Ben Gamble returns, returns you know, a month later than expected, but we had an internal candidate who was able to get us through, and that is, that is now Ichiro Suzuki. Uh, the the best case scenario for us is that we have all four of the outfielders I just spoke of: Hannigal, Hanniger, Gamel, Heredia. I like that celebrity and, marriage that you just mentioned. Yeah, Hannigal. Yeah, we'll <laughs> use it. Yeah, roll with it, baby. We uh, you know, we have that group of players surrounding D. Gordon who are also versatile and they fit well together. You know, and and I think Ichiro. Whereas previously we weren't looking to carry that number of outfielders. You know. 
you, I guess desperate times call for for decisions that you wouldn't have otherwise made. So you know we are going to go into the season with five outfielders, with, with Ichi being one of them, and we're going to see how it plays out. There's, I, I hope we're in a situation where we have to determine what we're going to do come May or June. But for now, we're just playing it out, and and we're going to use the best players we can. D. Gordon speaks of the highest levels of Ichiro and. I don't think he's the only one. Have you had a chance to canvas the clubhouse much to the guys about Ichiro? I know that this, although we mentioned that this was, uh, the roots of this began early, early offseason. I know it just kind of really picked up full speed, full speed uh, rather rapidly. I don't know if you had a chance to do that yet. No, 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 I have. I, you know, I did. I, ta- I spoke directly with a handful of the teammates before we went down this road so that we understood the potential for positive impact in the clubhouse. And sat down with Felix, uh, talked with Robbie Cano, uh, sat down with, with our skipper, sat down with our hitting coach, who might know Ichiro as well as anyone, and, and just generally wanted to get a feel for how Ichiro impacts the clubhouse, how, how, how much our group would like to have him here. And it was overwhelmingly positive. Did talk to David Phelps, did talk to Dee Gordon, and, and funny, yesterday, yesterday we walked in and there was still some uncertainty as to when we were going to unveil this, when the contract would be signed, when Ichiro would get in here, be through with a physical, and, and ultimately be announced as a Mariner. And I walked into the, to the dining room and it was fairly early in the morning. So therefore, on an evening game day, we had uh, just a few players who were rehab in, the, in the, the dining area. And Ryan Healy was sitting at a table eating by himself. I walked over to the table, I, you know, I grabbed a bowl of cereal, I sat down with Ryan Healy, and he looked at me with a big grin on his face. He said, this is a big day. I get to, I get to swing the bat for the first time today. And I said, indeed it is. He said, I'm going to get it overshadowed, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I said uh, there, there's a reasonable chance that that could happen, but I think you're safe today. And he said, uh, he said yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. All the guys are pretty excited about it. And he said, actually, D. Gordon said to me this morning, you know Michael Jordan? And Ryan goes, of course I know Michael Jordan. Everybody's known Michael Jordan. And Dee said, this guy's bigger than Michael Jordan. And, and Ryan said, nobody's bigger than Michael Jordan. Dee said, he is. And, and I, I think that's the, way that, that's the way this group or this generation of players sees him. Because if you think about it, at 44 years old, Dee Gordon is, is a major league all-star two times over, a batting champ, has had the ability to play alongside Ichiro for a couple of years. And think, think about where Dee Gordon was when Ichiro was winning MVPs and a couple of batting titles and 10 all-star appearances. You know, if you dial the clock back, he's in his early teens when, when this is all happening, when you are at the very height of following the game and really sinking your teeth into following players. And if there's a player in the game in the, in the 2000 to 2010 or 12 range that really exhibited the similar skill level of a D Gordon, that contact speed, move it around guy, you could really aspire to, to play like it would be Ichiro. And, and I think that to have that in your clubhouse, to have those kind of generations cross and, and really seeing the kind of leader that, that Ichiro has grown into, even in the way he projects himself and the things he talks about as being interesting to him. I was curious, how, how vocal is Ichiro? Do you have a sense for that? 
I think far more now than he was previously, as I understand. Uh, in addition to vetting our people and personnel on, on what their thoughts or recollection, recollections were of, of Ichiro, talked to the people who were most recently with him and you know, got, got rave reviews for his impact in the clubhouse, how well he handled the young players. Uh, and Dee alluded to that as well. And, and the fact that Dee has you know, yet to play a regular season inning in the major leagues in, in the outfield was not uh, we looked at that when making this decision if 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 there is a player that he respects that much who has that much just instinct and understanding of how to play the positions and is a willing teacher why wouldn't we want to tap into that at what we think is a very affordable cost for a very good outcome I'm sure you remember. Of course you do. His last at bat at Safeco Field last yes, year. Yes, I do. Was that Evan Marshall? Uh, was, that, was that who it was? I believe it was Evan. And I and I do think that it was it was probably the only time because we were winning the game by a fair margin. It was the only time I smiled when when we gave up <laughs> because it was. I, I have to say, in the moment that when you are thinking that's ah, that that might be his last at bat at Safeco Field. As a matter of fact, you're thinking odds are uh, it's got to be right. Last bat. And uh, to, to have it end like that seemed like almost Sandy Koufax-like, where you're walking out, World Series, I'm on the top of the heap, I'm, I'm walking out as a Cy Young Award winner and world champ. Uh, I think it speaks volumes to his commitment to the game, to his belief in himself, that, that when given the opportunity to walk out with a storybook ending, he wants to come back and rewrite the storybook. I think it's... it's it's really telling of the commitment that he has and the focus he has at, at, at his age to do the things that he's capable of doing and, and to be in the kind of physical condition that he's in and able to do it almost in a moment's notice. He's going to show up. He's going to be in a game here in the next three or four days. That's it, hard to do, it roll out and be that prepared. But this, he's always prepared. And that, that much was from, from the Yankees people to the Marlins people to the guys we have that play with him. Not that they could not say enough about the preparation, the focus, and, and how he understood who he was playing on a given night, the, the competition, the, the, the internal focus, and, and what he goes through to prepare himself to play every day are really second to none. What do you make of him saying he not only wants to play until he's 50, but he corrected some people today by saying until he's at least 50, saying he wants to play essentially beyond the year 50 years old? You know, we've seen this before. It's uh, it's not Jamie Moyer uh, as a as a pitching version of Ichiro. Uh, it similarly wanted to play until he was 50 years old, and and you know what? He was still pretty effective doing what he was doing, and and give him credit for going that long. I, I think maybe the most remarkable case I can remember is Ricky Henderson, who Ricky Henderson, clearly one of the best players of all time. One of the best athletes of all time, played into his 40s, an MVP, a definite Hall of Famer, a 3,000 hit guy, whatever accomplishment, you just line him up and Ricky Henderson knocked it down. He went and played in the independent leagues waiting to come. He did. He went and played independent league baseball waiting for the opportunity to come back to the major leagues. That means you want to play. And, you know, I, I, I've often joked with young players, and it's not really a joke. I mean it sincerely. I, I say it to my son all the time, and, and I believed it every day that I played. I will play until they rip the jersey off my back because it's truly the best job in the world. You love what you do. You're playing a game for a living. You're handsomely, handsomely compensated for sure. that. And why would you stop before they tell you it's time to stop? 
And uh, he's Ichiro's had a fabulous career, clearly has a, a supportive wife and dog. Uh, and I think it benefited us that they still keep a home around the Seattle area. And, and, and for us, why, why limit him as to what he's able to accomplish? You know, I think it's fun that he wants to do it. I would love to play today. I know it's unrealistic. I, you know, I couldn't make it to 33. <laughs> but, you know, it's a, it, it's, it's a phenomenal achievement. And I, I say don't cap him. Let him give it a shot. Maybe he's this generation's mini Minoso. Sure. Well, congratulations on enjoying the moment as we started off this entire podcast talking about because it was, I don't have to tell you, it was quite the sight to see Ichiro's picture on the flat screen TVs in the colonnade of the Peoria Sports Complex for the press conference. It was, uh, it was a moment I don't think any of us will forget for a long time. It was, it was pretty special. I can't say it was what I was thinking when we came into spring training, but now that we've experienced it, I think it's a, I will remember this day for a long, long time. Well, it's, it's going to be a highlight for me as an executive. It's, it's a very cool moment really? to be a part I mean, of. Really? Sincerely, that, that big of a deal for yeah, you personally? Yeah, it really is. I mean, these are iconic players that you're dealing with. And, and when you get every day to, to spend your day around Ichiro and Robinson Cano and Felix Hernandez, and it's, it's, it, it's a great experience. Uh, Ken Griffey Jr., previously these are these are great moments every day if you are truly a baseball fan and you love the game there's you get to live among the people that you enjoy watching so much and 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 really get to know who they are as people and and that's fun since you brought that up lastly on Ichiro have you ever gotten a sense and I know your relationship is really just forming with Ichiro but a sense of his love for the history of baseball. I mean, Jeff Adelson, the president of the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, has told us when he was in town uh, with Griffey's plaque when Junior went into the Hall of Fame, he told us that multiple times he has hosted Ichiro in Cooperstown and given him personal visits around the archives and, of course, the places where the common folk don't get to see because Ichiro has this unbridled love for the history of the game, especially as it pertains to the men of the records that he has broken. I mean, it's incredible. The roses and the cobs. And I, see, I view that through the eyes of a fan, you know, aspiring to something that you know you're probably not capable of achieving. I think he views it through the eyes of a conqueror. Like he wants to see like George <laughs> yeah. Sisler's bat. Yeah. Let me hold right? it. Yeah. yeah. There's, and and I, I think that's, it, you know, Ichiro's, Ichiro's love of the game is clear because he's still playing. You know, people who've accomplished what he's accomplished typically – right off into the sunset, he wants to keep the record playing, so to speak. I think the fact that he loves the game like he does, his, his appreciation for the history only enhances the, the appeal or the magnetism that, that, that it's, he, he has it. Whatever it is, you know, this is a conversation that I had with Felix. Whatever it is, he has it. And, you know, and I reminded Felix that he has it too. And, and, and it's true when you get around those great players. They, they have it, and Ichiro has it. And I'm hoping when the opportunity arises, either later this month back in Seattle or sometime in 2018, when we have the moment that, to go out there and win a game in the moment, he will do it because he's got it. So as we record this Wednesday afternoon, you mentioned this briefly a moment ago, but you foresee his first time in a Mariners lineup in the Cactus League being... I would say before the weekend is through, uh, you know, obviously Wednesday today, Scott and, and Ichiro sat down here in the office with us and, and we talked it through. I think he'd like to, to get his, his legs under him for the next three or four days and, and see where we are. But my expectation would be he's in the lineup sometime later this week, maybe toward the weekend and minimally at the, I would think the latest early next week. Gotcha. 
Well, some other exciting stuff, although it's tough to uh, to overdo a uh, each row press conference and the signing. But, man, we've seen some more good stuff, Jerry, in the Cactus League here, especially up on the mound. I, you've already spoken about Dan Altavilla. I don't know if there's more you can say about Dan Altavilla, but the early dominance by Dan in the Cactus League, specifically when it comes to the the balance of command and velocity, I mean, that wasn't a fluke. We saw it again just the other night. What do you continue to see from Dan? Uh, the evolution of his breaking ball. So in addition to command, velocity, just explosive fastball quality since we've been here in Arizona, Dan has now introduced the slider that is, you may recall his first outing for us was in Chicago in 2016 against the White Sox. Throwing like 105. Yeah, he touched 101, <laughs> and he threw Todd Frazier, what I would still qualify today as one of the best single sliders I think I've ever seen. You know, the downside is that he was not able to truly sustain that slider. He was able to sustain velocity. He was able to sustain the explosiveness on the fastball. But for the, for the period thereafter, the slider would come and go for him. Well, over the course of this spring, what we're seeing is a consistent version of that slider that, that we saw versus Todd Frazier, where it was, it's 90 to 92 miles an hour. It's, it's almost embarrassing that somebody could throw their right. slider that hard. And, you know, it's 90, 92 miles an hour. The turn is so late, and we're seeing him strike on the release point so consistently right now that, I, frankly, it's what elite relievers do. They're able to come up with that second pitch that they can pin down and I don't want to pin Dan with the, the title elite reliever, but he's certainly having that kind of spring where he's stepping forward in such a big way. And, and it's noticeable to everybody around him. He's carrying himself very confidently. And one thing we always know about Dan is that we, from a preparation and work ethic standpoint, nobody's going to work harder to, to, to get where he needs to be. He looks focused. He looks like he wants it. And I think it, our bullpen in general has looked very good this spring, but Dan has looked exceptional. Can you compare and contrast Altavilla's slider to the slider of Edwin Diaz? There's, I would say the only difference is their, their arm strokes. Uh, you know, Edwin has more tilt to his slider. And, you know, Eddie's got enough different shapes and forms because his arms, he's, he's a quirky delivery guy where there's, you've got knees and elbows flying all over the place and, you know, out pops a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. And then a, hit, a slider that I think most would, it's a virtually unhittable slider when he executes it properly, which he's been doing a fair bit in the early part of this camp, and, and which he has done a fair bit throughout his major league career to date. You know, Edwin's slider is really tightening up. His has more, if you if you hold your hands horizontally apart from one another and then just take your right hand and turn it up toward the sky and your left hand follows it so they're still horizontally apart from one another, that's the way Edwin's slider breaks. So it's, it, it is, it's almost like a short, hard curveball when it, when it strikes right. Dan Altavilla's is more like a lateral crossing break that is happening at such a high speed. Eddie Diaz is throwing his slider more in the 89, 90 miles an hour range, and it's and it's breaking like a curveball, which makes it ridiculously difficult to hit. Dan's is almost like a hard, late-turning cutter that is happening so late and close to the plate that you can't react to the cut. It looks like a fastball until the very end, and then it's gone. Uh, it's it's particularly effective. I'm, I would not want to get in the box and hit it frankly uh the fact that we now have between the two of them uh david phelps and the, the what we saw from him the other night 
Phelps, he was 92 to 95 his first day out on the mound with what I think was an exceptional cutter and, and showed you a good curveball. Juan Nicasio has been very good despite giving up a homer. Very good in his time here in Arizona. We're looking forward to getting Nick Vincent out there. James Pazos' last two outings have been considerably better than the first. He's trending in the right direction. And a lot of the younger guys. We saw it you know, last night with Art Warren making his Cactus League debut, uh, operating in the mid-upper 90s with a wicked breaking ball and throwing strikes, which is uncommon for the first time out there for someone who's never pitched above the, the really the A-ball level, which is, which is pretty cool. I'm glad you mentioned Art Warren, somebody that I was eager to, to pick your brain about because – we had read about Art. Of course, he had a sensational Arizona Fall League time as the closer for Peoria. Really good numbers since he essentially became a full-time reliever, right? A couple of years ago, spent some time as a starter in the lower levels. Is that right? And from what I've been able to gather, Jerry, roughly a year ago, he was pumping fastballs at like 90 miles an hour. And last night, we're seeing them at 98. What, what was the change? You know, it's, it's not too dissimilar from Dan Altavilla, maybe slightly dissimilar, but in the same category as Edwin Diaz. Edwin Diaz's average velocity on his fastball as a starter was about 92, you know. His average velocity as a reliever is about 97. It's, uh, it's just a considerable northern jump. Similarly with Dan Altavilla, you know, as a starter, his average velocity was about 92, 93. As a reliever, it's been more 95, 98. And, and you see that kind of jump forward. We wouldn't have anticipated a jump forward like this for Art in terms of raw velocity, but he was a 90, 92 mile an hour starter who would occasionally hit 94, put him in the bullpen, and now it's been very steadily 94 to 100. And, you know, I, I like that <laughs> as, a, as a general rule. I mean, you know, when we, make, when we make moves like that, we tried to do it. You know, we've talked about it a couple of times. We tried to do it last year with Max Posey, and it just didn't work. You know, Max's velocity settled in as very similar range where that, that he showed you as a, as a starter. And, you know, the other guys took a big step forward, and it really translated. At the, so the, the, the appropriate thing to do? send Max back to start and then let the other guys continue to let it hunt. And, you know, Art has been incredible since we put him in the bullpen. Last year he got better with each passing month and saved the best for last in the fall league. Obviously his first, uh, his first foray in the big league camp. What I was most impressed with last night was the, 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 the strike zone, the, the quality of the pitch in the strike zone and the quality of his breaking ball and his ability to throw it for a strike. Usually you don't see that. The heart's beating a little faster that first day. You know, maybe your, your breathing patterns aren't quite where you want them to be. But he looked like he belonged out there. He's not the only one. You know, I, we, a couple of days back, five days ago in Maryville, we had Marco Gonzalez Day in Maryville, followed by the closing efforts of Wyatt Mills, which were fabulous. I 92 to 94 with a late-turning breaking ball. And not just his first foray into a big league inning but the very first spring training inning he's ever thrown as a professional was to close out the ninth inning in a big league spring training game you know that's your heart does get going in those moments so uh, I'm proud of the guys I think they've really shown well and they've encouraged us as to what's possible with our bullpen both now and in the future since we're on the talking about the minor leagues I ran into a guy that you work very closely with and his office is just down the hall Jeff Kingston We've talked about Jeff before on the podcast, but I, I ran into him coming back from the Ichiro presser, and we were just catching up. I hadn't really seen him much so far this spring. And, and he just kind of started raving about all the good stuff going on on the minor league side of things for the Mariners right now. And, and I'm not even just talking about 
on the field. He was really more, Jerry, referring to the stuff off the field, it's kind of some of the things that we've referenced on the major league side, the mental skills side of things, and then just this, this, this huge evolution, almost like a quantum leap that we're seeing in bringing science into baseball. Uh, I'm sure none of this stuff catches you by surprise. Can, can you shed a little light on some of the things that you think he's probably talking about on the minor league side of things right now in Arizona? Oh, definitely. I guess first in terms of mental skills, not shocking based on the fact that we hired Andy McKay as our farm director. We think we are, we are at near the front of the pack in that regard, just in helping our players be as prepared as they can be when a game starts. Uh, there's, I think that's why, as a general rule, we have performed well as a minor league system. Now, we've talked before, we're, we're probably not the most talented system in, in regard to, to overall player ability, but our players become the best versions of themselves that they can be. And, and I think that's a tribute to Andy McKay, to our mental skills program, and to the focus of our young guys. Some of the, some of the real good stories or, or pleasant developments for us have been guys like Braden Bishop, who over the last two years has really learned how to slow the game down and apply his skills. That's a testament to our mental skills program. Art Warren, we just spoke about him. You know, Art was was probably on the slow track as an old for level starter at the at the Midwest League level, and now he's fast tracking as an upper 90s arm with a really good emotional balance out of approach a game. You know, guys like David Franco and Jimmy Von Ostrin, who work with Andy at our minor league levels, uh, at the guidance of Darren McMains, we are, we have a built out program that works. We are introducing a lot of science to baseball. We've, you know, with the, the hiring of Lorena Martin, the HP programs, the high performance programs that we do run, we have more interaction going on right now between our on-field coaches and our strength and conditioning people and our training staffs that we're able to, in a moment, whether it be through technology, through data gathering, or through subjective coaching feel, we're able to adjust players or give them something that works for them in a moment that I don't know is common around the league. And, and our, the willingness of our staff to engage in that has been unbelievable. Uh, we have, we've invested in technologies from, ranging from the K-Vest, where the, the hitters will wear vests. And, you know, these, they look like flak jackets, and uh, they get into the cage. And if, there's not, if they don't execute the swing at the right interval, where their, their upper and lower half are moving together, and they get to the appropriate bat angle, that, that would be able to, to create a trajectory off the bat to launch a ball. <laughs> uh, we can... We can bring them and show them the detail in a, in a readout or a, or a printout. And our coaches can guide them through where the bat angle needs to get or how much longer their hip needs to stay in to execute their perfect swing. The I was hoping you'd come say a long way. I thought you were hoping you'd say there'd be like an electric shock that goes through the vest if, if the swing plane isn't on the right path. And instant correction inside the cage with this vest. But it's just a, it's just a printout, Jerry? It's just a piece of it's paper? It's just a printout, but yeah. I like yours better. It sounds so much cooler. <laughs> You know, we're doing things like that. We do have we have so many different technologies that we've introduced over the last couple of years. You know, not just the the more I, I guess uh, I, I guess mainstream names, things like TrackMan and and uh, Statcast, but we have introduced a lot of instruments down here that we are using on a daily basis. Maybe the coolest of which is a Repsoto machine that that we have at each one of our affiliates. We have them here in Peoria. And, and it allows us to go out in a bullpen session with our pitchers and with a pitching coach or an assistant pitching coach holding an iPad. You know, we, we, have, 
We have a coordinator of organizational learning who will stand there with the iPad and, and feed the information to the pitching coach during a bullpen where you can, we can effectively see the, the number of rotations or spin on a curveball in the bullpen and show the pitcher, you know, here's, your, here's the RPMs, here's the spin on your curveball. And the pitcher is then able to take it, process it. And, you know, for instance, we were able to do that, show the number to Felix. And Felix grabbed the ball and got back up on the mound and then threw the next one with the, with the intent to spin it at a harder rate than the one before. And sure enough, he did. If you put the greatest players in the world in a position where they're competing against themselves, they will win. And, and, uh, and, and we're creating that type of mentality at the minor league levels, and it's, and it's really starting to become a part of our overall organizational culture, including at the big league level. That's fascinating stuff, and I think this is a kind of a good. We'll use this as like our stats segment to end the show today, because you mentioned launch angle, and this has become one of the top five buzzwords in baseball, right? The last couple of years, Justin Turner of the Dodgers has. There was a Sports Illustrated article a year ago about him, basically. I think it was something along the lines of like betting money during BP, and every time that he hit a ball on the ground, then he had to pay somebody, which reminded me of the story which I heard years ago growing up in St. Louis that uh, Ozzie Smith and Whitey Herzog during spring training got in it because Ozzie was hitting too many balls in the air. And for every time that Ozzie hit a ball in the air in spring training, he had to pay Whitey money. And every time that he hit the ball on the ground, Whitey had to pay him money because Whitey wanted him to put the ball on the ground so he could use his speed to get on base. And by the end of spring, Herzog owed him whatever, a hundred bucks or something and the competition was over. But can you tell us your vantage point on launch angle is it good for everybody to have this extreme launch angle that we see people talking about i wouldn't say it's good for everybody but i'm a huge believer and we organizationally are advocates you know i I think the where this has been whether it's justin turner jose bautista josh donaldson were, were some of the earliest subscribers to the to the this type of all-in launch angle it has really started to change careers you know chris taylor our former shortstop who went to the dodgers and put up a phenomenal year largely because he started hanging out with justin turner (laughs) and and launching but uh you know i think the 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 way we've seen players evolve the most I, i think the most extreme case that i've seen is a player who was recently traded just two or three days ago from the san diego padres no from the the tampa rays via the Padres, to the Atlanta Braves. And his name is Ryan Schimpf, been in the National League for the last year and a half or so. He's had, I think, fewer than 450 career plate appearances. He's hit 34 home runs, and, and, uh, and he has, these, I believe, the second highest fly ball rate of any player in history. Why for a single season or for a, for for a, a career? career? Really? Uh, why I think this is fascinating is because Ryan Schimpf was, was a was – a, spray hitting second baseman at LSU who is not widely regarded for the quality of his bat went through a fairly normal or modest minor league progression got to the big leagues late went and saw a a swing doctor came back launching balls in the air and all of a sudden his home run rate is is more akin to a Babe Ruth or a Mark McGuire than it would than it would be to you know to a spray hitting second baseman it's a phenomenal achievement in the game to be able to take the science of, of swing tracking and correlate it to results on the field. So much so that, that this year, you know, last year, I don't think we've talked about this on the, on the show, 
But last year, well, for the previous two years, we had Brant Brown as our minor league hitting coordinator. Brant Brownie did a wonderful job. High energy guy. He's got a lot of great ideas. He bought into uh, the swing change, and and I won't say that it was his natural resting position. But once our group was was educated to it, Brownie was the first to raise his hand and say, why wouldn't we try this? And we tried it with a majority of our players at the minor league levels. You know, this year when Brownie left us, he's now the... He's thinking I was Justin Turner now, right? Yeah. That's a, so, so now he's, he's with CT and he's got <laughs> Justin Turner and he's, a, he's the assistant hitting coach of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And we're proud of him. We think that's a, that's a feather in, in all of our caps for, for helping to, to get, allow him to achieve a dream like that. But uh, we went out and when we replaced Brant Brown by hi- hiring Hugh Quattlebaum as our new, which is one of the most awesome names. I was going to say. Just so you know. <laughs> uh, and and uh, I've known Hugh's brother for many years. Andy McKay brought Hugh to the table. Hugh's never coached a day in, in professional baseball. He's, he's been, he's been a, a hitting coach in the private sector whose specialty is, is the, the – the nuances of the launch angle and uh, we brought him in and he's been he's been here for the entire major league camp to date he'll report to the minor league camp next week as our position players get here but uh, Hugh has been a big hit in the cage particularly with our younger hitters because a lot of his terminology a lot of the things that he talks about in trying to execute the the, the best swing that our players can execute is something that many of our guys already subscribe to or are wildly curious about because they're reading it and right. from third-party sources or internet sites. Is it possible to have the, that desired launch angle, angle that we've been talking about and not be a strikeout victim? Or I should say not be more strikeout prone? It'd be very hard. I will say maybe the most, the most notable player that I can remember showing up who naturally had the kind of launch angle, you know, let's call it uphill approach, that I've seen in recent years come out of college was Dustin Pedroia. Dustin Pedroia coming out of college was an undersized shortstop who most were projecting would move to second base, who had a high plane swing and and hit uphill. Most scouts would look past that and just poo-poo the idea that that could possibly be successful. Not only did it work, but it resulted in a great career that has been an MVP, multiple time world champion, and he doesn't strike out, which is, to me, unique. Most guys that employ this type of swing angle are going to miss. It's the nature of the beast. It's also reflective in the fact that the pitch that they generally access for their power is a fa- an elevated fastball. In today's world of high-velocity fastballs, guys like Dan Altavilla and Art Warren, when you are swinging at an elevated fastball that's north of 95 miles an hour, there's... In short, it's really hard to hit. <laughs> and, you know, they're, they're, these guys are going to miss on occasion by, by, you know, trying to juice a ball that's up high like that. But, you know, Pedroia stands out as a guy who didn't strike out a ton doing it, but the rest will. And, and many of the strikeouts that they incur are worth the reward because many of the times when they're making contact, the result is a crooked number, not just, not just throwing up a double in the gap. And is it simply because your bat is just not in the zone for as long a period of time? Bingo. You know, it's a, you are, it, it's at, when you execute the old kind of, kind of down through it, up to it approach of, of hitting, which is what we were all taught when I was a, a young guy or what we've taught in baseball for years. This is, this is a little bit different because you're taking your body down and then you're taking your bat path up. 
So it, Mitch Haniger is a great example. It's a, it's a, it, you know, Mitch, Mitch has what looks to be, you know, almost a, a breakdown in his body construction as he, as he approaches his swing. But when he is ready to make contact with the ball, he's in an optimal position to drive it because of the bat angle that he's creating with what he's doing with his body. He's almost contorting his body to, to create this bat angle. And he hits the ball as hard as anyone we have, short of Nelson Cruz. I mean, it's just he can powder a baseball. And you wouldn't really know it if you were old-time baseball sitting there 30 years ago. You'd look at the swing and say, no way that's going to work. And it, and it absolutely does. Not, not only does it work, but it works, and the results are, are fantastic. Well, Jerry, we know this has been a, a very busy day for you, a very exciting day for you, and I do feel like this podcast has been missing something today, don't you? Or can we talk about it? I mean, the chair, we have an empty chair next to us, Jerry. It's, yeah, it was, I, I can't even tell you the disappointment I'm feeling. Uh, no Colin O'Keefe. It is uh, almost a tear to my eye. I but, feel like we shouldn't be able to do this without him. And yet, it's, no been, it's been flawless. Flawless? I think your setup, from, from the word go, your setup was flawless, to the point where, you know, if Colin were off on some type of mission, you know, some type of mission of mercy, I would feel some degree of, you know, I, when he comes back, we'll just tell him how well Aaron did in setting this up and how flawless the whole project was. And that was. it was okay. Yeah. We, we managed it, but we really need you back, buddy. But the fact that... He's out on, let's call it a gorgeous, slightly overcast day here in Scottsdale, sunning himself poolside with a flowery drink in Scottsdale, waiting for the feedback of this show. I, I, I feel like he's sunglasses tipped down on the nose with a stogie, you know, looking over, looking across the pool at, at the family's joyful playing and splashing in the pools. We're sitting here working like dogs. And Total dogs. He's out there enjoy it. I think uh, somewhere on Baseball Reference, there's a page of Wally Pip. Right? It's happening yeah. right before our eyes. Yeah. Colin, I guess we'll say we'll miss you. We've missed you, right? Yeah. Hang with him, buddy. Yeah. All right. Well, Jerry, this has been fun. The Ichiro edition is in the books. Congrats again on the signing. An exciting day here in Peoria. And uh, I'm excited for our next one, man. Thank you so much. Always. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.